Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock. I am Captain Sabriel Meston, and there's Klingons off the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. There's Klingons off the starboard bow. Fight them off, Ken. All the live long day. <laughs> and as usual, I'm joined by co-host Ken Gagney. Hi, Captain Sabriel. How are you today? I'm good, and I skipped your rank again. Uh, I don't have a rank. I'm flexible. I'm malleable. You know, everybody on the ship does. They wear a lot of hats. They do whatever job is necessary. That's just us too. so. <laughs> right. Why would Starfleet send out a vessel with just two people on it? <laughs> Remember me! <laughs> um, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and that, of course, is Dr. Demento. It's a little Star Trek song. For some reason, I figured every Star Trek podcast is doing some kind of musical thing this week, and I'm not going to be any different. Unfortunately, we're not a video podcast, and y'all can't see the delightful choreography that Sabriel arranged oh, for us. It's beautiful. We're still dancing to this moment. That's right. Or like shuffle ball change, grapevine. It's fantastic. It's got everything. <laughs> so this week we are reviewing two extremely tonally different shows. <laughs> maybe we could have planned this a little better, but we didn't know. <laughs> well, maybe they could have planned it a little bit better, Paramount. Yeah, we we tend to bunch up two episodes of Strange New Worlds into one podcast episode. And this week, those episodes are Under the Cloak of War and Subspace Rhapsody. <laughs> and we tend to go in order so although we are starting off very lighthearted and jocular we are nonetheless going to discuss the sad depressing war episode first uh you know what uh, you always need some levity when you're talking about heavy topics uh, it's true we laugh at what we're scared of exactly like horror movies that's why they're humorous as well because you need that levity some of them i hear the latest evil dead movie kind of just drops all the camp that bruce campbell is known for and just goes straight horror what's the point it's not groovy that's not Evil Dead. That's not groovy. But I also groovy. haven't seen the movie myself, so. Oh, well, there's that. I haven't either. Yeah, just word of mouth. Yeah, I, I thought I had a segue I didn't, so <laughs> just jump into it. Yeah, Under the Cloak of War, Season 2, Episode 8, has a reformed Klingon general, is now a Starfleet ambassador, and is brought aboard the Enterprise for them to courier him or chauffeur him from one starbase to another. And unfortunately, this guy was the main villain on the moon of Jagal, where Dr. Mbenga and Nurse Chapel served during the Klingon War. So this isn't just general racism towards Klingons that we're seeing. This is very personal toward this Klingon when the crew of the Enterprise experienced a lot of tension about him being on board. Yeah, Ambassador uh, Doc Ra. Um uh, I walked away from this episode. This is so heavy. Like, I watch these on Thursday morning before I start my day. And what a way to start <laughs> start your day. Yeah, you warned me it was a dark episode. And at first I thought that meant dark as in, like, how Icheb died on Star Trek Picard. Like, just gratuitous. But then you clarified, no, it's a good episode. It's just dark and heavy. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not going to watch that before I go to work. <laughs> I watched it that night and then was unable to sleep. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so we've got a number of references to the Butcher of Jagal over the time. Actually, the beginning of the season here, the very first episode. Um, 
And we've gotten hints that over the two years that the war was tough on Dr. Mbenga and Nurse Chapel. And here we kind of finally get to see the play out in this episode. And um, they're, they're working on a mash unit on Jagal. And um, wow, things were rough. <laughs> uh, we didn't see much of the Klingon war because Discovery missed most of it. And uh, getting these little glimpses of it. Uh, things were not good for the Federation. Things were not good, period. War is always rough. Um, I don't think... Neither of us have served, so we do not have a perspective beyond what we've consumed in media or heard or know of family who have done so. Yeah, and that's a really good point. As you know, Sabriel, in this podcast, I love to insert myself into the stories that we see and talk about what I would do in those scenarios. And you always remind me that I'm not these characters and I would not do the things that they would do, which is valid. But it's especially true this week because I cannot empathize from experience with anything that Mbenga and Chapel are experiencing this week. Like I've never been in war. I've never experienced PTSD or what used to be called shell shock. You know, I just, I, I can react to what they did but I can't say I would do anything different. I have had PTSD for not war-related things. Uh, people who have really affected me and how much it can shut me down. Mm. Um, that I could relate to, but the causes of were completely different um, that they had to experience. So uh, we just do our best here. I saw that um, uh, Melissa Navia on Twitter, uh, that's Lieutenant Artegas. Uh, she had said that she could not comment much because of the strike, but um, she had received a number of messages from war veterans um, thanking her for her portrayal of the difficulty of working through um, her own PTSD and how they saw themselves reflected in her. That's interesting because although she certainly had a important role in this episode. I wouldn't say it was a, a critical role. That doesn't you know, mean like, the others didn't get those messages either. She's just the only one I saw speak up online. True. That's valid. Yeah, we saw her reaction at first when the ambassador stepped on the bridge. You know, uh, it was one of those, he's right behind me, isn't he, scenes. And it reminded me of Ortegas's portrayal in the, I think it was the finale last season in the alternate timeline where Pike remains captain of the Enterprise. And mm -hmm. she was very, I guess the best word for it is racist against Romulans and Vulcans. Yeah, they had her play the part of the person who's not there in the episode. Right, right. In the original, was it Balance of Terror or the Enterprise incident? I always confuse those two. It was Balance uh, of Terror. Balance of Terror, yep. Yeah, in the original Balance of Terror, there was some helmsman, a dude who was racist. And those same lines basically were being said by her. And so... I was hoping that that was a characteristic of her that was unique to that timeline. Uh, it, I, I'm not sure that it is because in this week we saw her not just discomfortable about the Klingon being on board, but also suspecting that he wasn't actually a reformed ambassador, that this was all part of a long con. And I didn't see any evidence of that. And I don't believe it to be true. Uh, it was left to be a mystery at the end. It's certainly possible, but I I think it would have been confirmed one way or the other, in my opinion. Um, for some reason, they're keeping that one close to the chest. 
Uh, mm. They wanted to keep that up in the air, and you know, I thought I thought this episode was going to be like the reason might be part of the reason or the reason why we later see uh, Mabenga is no longer the CMO on Enterprise. That's possible. We haven't seen any steps taken toward that in the immediate right uh, moments afterward, or exactly. even in the next episode. Yeah. It might lead to or be part of that, or it could be something else, or maybe they're like, maybe we have two chief medical officers and we just never found that out in the original series. Well, at my workplace, which is very different from either medical or Starfleet, you can step down from being a team lead or what most places would call a manager, and it's not considered a demotion and there's no impact on your salary. Uh, team lead is a position that you volunteer to step into. And when you've had your fill of it, you can step back down to be an individual contributor or IC. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so maybe Dr. Mbengo is like, you know what? I have done my time as a CMO. I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to having a little bit less stress and responsibility. Because especially in Starfleet, you don't get paid for these jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I Even Picard famously said that the motivation for humanity in the future is to better themselves. You know, it's not to get a promotion or make more money or raise a family. And so maybe Dr. Mbenga was like, you know what, with the less time that is needed to be an individual contributor instead of a CMO, I can better myself in other ways. I really wanted to be doing this jigsaw puzzle instead. Or maybe he's just night shift. (laughs) (laughs) Night shift. (laughs) Do you know the story about Steve Jobs being on the night shift? I don't think I do. Before he founded Apple, he worked at Atari. So and he was vegan, which he felt meant he didn't need to bathe. Oh yeah, yeah, that part. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have heard that. I read the history. (laughs) And so they put him on the night shift because nobody wanted to work with him during the day, and he was the only one on the night shift. So after (laughs) everybody else went home, he'd come in, have the office to himself, do his work, and then go home before anybody else came in so that they wouldn't have to smell him. (sighs) He's one of those that gave vegans a bad name. there are a lot of aspects of Steve Jobs that I don't admire. I'm a a huge Apple fan and I acknowledge he was a genius and he changed this world and I'm grateful for his existence. And I was sad when he died, but there were a lot of things not to admire about that person and his beliefs about veganism or rather (laughs) the qualities he felt that they conferred Mm, mm -hmm. like, like I am Special vegan I, powers. Right, you're right. <laughs> Just like in Scott Pilgrim. Like I'm I'm not vegan. I'm pro-vegan, but I'm not I'm also pro-bathing. <laughs> anyway, tangent. Um these trips to the mash unit in the past, these flashbacks were just wow. Um that was some tough stuff. Uh Nurse Chapel going through that seeing that most of it was actually through her point oh no i don't want to say most of it some of it was through her point of view and um um but she's at this point she seemed like she didn't have much war experience yet and she just kind of dropped off there um and having to just jump into that reality um tough having to pump a guy's heart with her own hands um uh the whole transporter incident uh, the yeah. shoppers coming in with new people, basically. I was afraid when she proposed purging the transporter buffer. And of course, we've seen this technique used not only in the TNG episode Relics, but also last season in Strange New Worlds with Dr. Mbenga's daughter. I was afraid that she was going to 
purge the buffer, then realize what she had done. Like she would have done mm-hmm. it by accident uh-huh. because I've, I've read sci-fi novels where stuff like that happens. And it's just terrifying. The, the regret and guilt that the person has to live with for making a mistake, you know, and here she has spared that because Dr. Mbenga without pausing just does it intentionally, you know, and the, the, the lack of hesitation in him is something I find both admirable and horrifying. <laughs> oh, this is, I mean, this is part of the reason where he reveals that he is the butcher of Jagal. He, I mean, this is part of that whole thing. It's not only the way he killed all those Klingons at the end and this guy took all the credit for it. It was him, the way, what, how he sees himself um, and the actions that he had to do on Jagal. And like, this guy's gone through so much crap. <laughs> And now he's just had to, like, this is what we got to do. Um, at this point, we've already missed his journey to this dark place. And now we're seeing Chapel's ability to cope with that. Uh, that's rough seeing this guy who's already hurt before we even saw him appear in this episode. Yeah, we have no idea how he gained these almost legendary assassin-like skills before he switched classes to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, we do finally get an answer to Protocol 12, which mm-hmm. is the stuff that we saw him and Chapel taking in the first episode of this season when they were trapped on that faux Starfleet ship. And I think I said on this podcast that I suspected it was mostly adrenaline, and we got some confirmation of that this week and maybe yeah, yeah. some other stuff as well. But, oh. Uh, Dorian, and Dan Dorian um, Trooper was asking for right. serum, and he's like, no. <laughs> Um, that stuff messes you up. Yeah, and Dr. Mbenga says, I don't have it, I don't make it anymore, and then he pulls some out. So I suspect he was lying because he, I mean, I think he even said in the season premiere that he always has some on him. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, he was absolutely lying. He didn't want to, we still see that he's trying to be a good person under there. He did not want to share this stuff. He did not want to kill people. Yeah. Or, um, Yeah. Uh, man, this is a tough one. <laughs> yeah, and from the season premiere, we also suspect, or at least I do, that Chapel had taken Protocol 12 before. We don't yeah. see her do it in this episode, but there must be more to her story. Yeah, there's absolutely more to the story. Um, we have not gotten a specific call-out to this little anim- thing they do with their eye. They trace their cheek. However, here, when I was watching it again this morning... Um, uh doll rock not doll rock um uh ambassador doc ra he has a tattoo that was similar in shape to what they were drawing hmm. on the, and i'm wondering if that is their own personal reference to jagal like don't remember what remember what happened there then i thought we saw laon do it once too we saw mbenga do it to laon Maybe that's what it was. Maybe I got it backwards. So, but, so maybe that was... But then what would she wouldn't have the significance unless she was there at a different time? Right. I don't know what it means. I don't know that it originates on Jigal, But I don't think we have gotten the answer. I don't know that we have enough information yet. But It, it, it was is, my hypothesis. Yeah. But. And it's a good hypothesis. But I, I don't get it. I still don't get it. Uh, let's talk about the ambassador. I don't think he's a very good ambassador. <laughs> I didn't like that guy at all. Just like... Him as a character, I did not like him at all. And it had nothing to do with him being Klingon. He just, something did feel off about him. Maybe everyone was right. We don't, it was left to be ambiguous. But was there something about him that you felt? 
Yeah, what I'm reminded of is a time that I spent in community theater. I used to do four shows a year or so. And I would, after our show was over, I would keep in touch with my former castmates, find out what new shows they were doing. I'd go see those shows. And I was in the lobby after a show waiting for my friend. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, Ken. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And he seemed really offended by that. He said that we had auditioned for a show together like two years earlier. And he kept like following me around the lobby, harassing me, hounding me, being like, how could you forget? We did this thing together. I was in this show, blah, 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 blah. Like he was very ungracious about it. And he just wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't drop the matter. And I hadn't said or done anything to antagonize him to this degree. And I kind of felt like that was the way with this ambassador. Like at one point, Dr. Mbenga clasps his hands and says, please leave me alone. And the ambassador just plows right through that boundary and just keeps hounding at him, just keeps picking at that scab and won't let it go. You know, and, fi- and it's no surprise that Dr. Mbenga exploded at him. I'm not justifying the end result, but this is almost what the Klingon wanted. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I got that feeling too. He was trying to push him. Well, he want like, like Mbenga said, he, he wanted to be told he's okay. I mean, he wanted that so badly, uh, that he's to be told that basically you would be told that he's a good person when like Mbenga is not the person to do that, but he wanted to hear it so badly from him. But if you could hear it from him, that would mean more than from anybody else. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, th- this Klingon was seeking absolution for his crimes. He hadn't forgiven himself, so he was seeking external validation. Whereas Mbenga, I don't think he's seeking redemption. I don't think he's seeking forgiveness. I think he acknowledges that he has done dark things, and he just accepts that that's who he is. He doesn't need to change it. He doesn't need to be absolved of it. It's just... This is me. This is who I am. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We, we got a whole little tiny plot, the whole episode here of... No, I'm, I'm jumping back. Mm-hmm. Just I'll, I'll go back to stick on um, Dr. Ra here. Um, God, this guy... Yeah, no, he's creeped out and messed up. And then, uh, like, him taking credit for everything that Mbenga did. <laughs> um. It's kind of weird because that's part of what he wants absolution for. Like, he has this dark past where he killed his own men and nobody admires him for that. And yet he didn't actually do it. You know, yeah. the truth is, in his opinion, he was a coward, which in, in the Klingon world is even worse. And then, like, maybe he did want all this peace. Maybe he was being authentic for all those scenes here we saw. But then he's using the wrong justification to do it instead of just being himself. Um, yeah. I feel like an ambassador should be better at reading the room. <laughs> I mean, and he wasn't trained for it, I suppose. No, no, that's true. But uh, I'm with you. He should. Like originally Mbenga wasn't trained to be a doctor. Um, do we know that? I thought he was. No, we don't. But I'm okay. just, I'm just referring back to, he picked up some uh, warrior skills at okay. some point. I thought, I thought I missed something. Okay. Nope. Nope, just conjecture that I'm I'm guessing that he 
I think that bec- even though I just said he sort of accepts who he is, I think at the same time, being a doctor is sort of Mbenga's road to redemption. He's trying to save more lives than he killed to undo his past crimes. You know, and I, I don't think he, I don't know. He's a complex character and I feel like I'm contradicting myself and trying to explain him away. And that just refers back to how complex he is. Uh, see, I just figured like, you're in the military. A lot of people are just uh, taught how to fight, even doctors, um, to some degree. You you know what? But I mean, that's probably true. I mean, even everybody in the military goes through basic training. That's correct. I don't oh. know where Protocol Twelve came from because you don't okay. get taught that. I pulled up Memory Alpha here, and it says at some point he served. As a Starfleet Special Forces operative. So he might have been a medical officer while he was in Special Ops. Hmm. We just don't, we just had not been told. So he went through Special Ops training. Hmm. But that, that is the unknown, but we just don't know how the crossover. You know, one thing uh, not specific to a character in this episode that kind of surprised me. I feel like even in DS9, we didn't get this intimate a perspective on uh, ground movements during a war. We see a lot of ship-to-ship battle and a lot of capability for mass destruction from the sky. But individual troops, I don't feel like we see that much. I think it was only the Siege of AR something 18. Yeah. Whatever yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. that but the only bit, like they might hint at it here or there, but yeah, we didn't really see much. Because um, like Star Trek is, they toy with war. They toy with that as a story, but we rarely ever actually saw what you're saying like like yeah anything else yeah i mean i mean right i mean ds9 did more than toy with it but what we saw of the war i mean the scene the the very first thing that comes to my mind in this discussion you and i are having is i think admiral ross and a bunch of other people on ds9 reading the casualty list Mm -hmm. you know every single week it comes in and every single week the cast of ds9 the crew make a point to read every single name on there and i remember I think it was Jed Zia walking away sad because some friend who we'd never heard of or seen before was on that list. Uh, when I say toy, I meant more like the the, the, the ground part. Right, right. And no, I, I, I get you. And yeah. that's why I'm referring back to that scene because this is a scene on Deep Space Nine, which is a relatively safe space. And they're reading the results of the war, not yeah. seeing the war. Yeah. No, I get you. Uh, we get a little side story, a little thing of uh, beginning or at some point, Dr. Mabenga is talking about how the bio-bed hasn't worked since the attack. I mean, it's a total allegory for him. Um, yeah. Uh, since the Gorn attack. And at the end, it's still futzing around. It's still bro- broken. Like, he's still a broken man, just like this bio-bed. Um, it was like, I found it an interesting little parallel. Very obvious what they're going for, but also, I just found it interesting. Uh, he still considers himself broken. Uh, and we talked about privately, like, like, <laughs> like uh, or was it Shar? Maybe it was Shar, not you. Um, now I'm drawing a blank. You what, what, you'll you'll figure on. it out with um, uh, therapy in the future. Hmm. Seems to be lacking, but uh, we don't know that he hasn't gone through therapy either. It's just things are still rough. I mean, we did see some pretty good manifestations of therapy and asking for help and dealing with mental trauma in Discovery. And you and I have uh-huh. talked about that on the show, how they even had an admiral whose background wasn't, uh, I think, therapy or. Yeah, Admiral Cardwell. That's right. So I don't know where that is on this enterprise. They certainly don't have a ship's counselor. 
you know, like Dr. Colbert doing double duty. Uh, after this episode, I'm not sure Mbenga is the person you would want to go to for therapy. Mm-hmm. No, but I, 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 we don't know they don't, but, but I guess we don't know his personal journey, but man, he still has things to work through. Well, you know what? I just said that, and now I need to take it back because we're all traumatized in some way. And if we had to heal ourselves before we could help other people heal themselves, nobody would ever be able to help anybody. Also true. So, so I, I apologize for that remark. Uh, we're all, there is, you know, personal trauma is not a barrier to helping others. I, I should be clear about that. Right, right. We should talk about the end of the episode, which was seen through frosted glass. We don't actually know what happened there. Uh, we know that Mbenga, for all these years, has been carrying the Klingon knife used to kill those three warriors. And he happens to have it out when the ambassador comes to visit him. Mm-hmm. And it ends up in the ambassador. And the ambassador is dead. Uh, I, I want to briefly share my first two remarks. One is, I'm surprised that that stab wound was fatal. Because we spent the whole episode seeing the lengths to which the doctor and the nurse were capable of going to save a Starfleet soldier from much more grievous wounds. I feel like a stab wound, uh, we've seen worse on TNG, like Picard got shot by a bow and arrow uh, in Who Watches the Watchers, and he was fine. It was just a voiceover. It's like, Captain's Log, Dr. Pulaski patched me up as she always does, or Dr. Crusher, rather. And I was like, oh, but in this case, it's fatal, which is very convenient to the plot. I mean, look at the two people who were there when it happened. I well, can that, see exactly why. Well, that's why I'm wondering. Did they... That, that's kind of what was running through my head this past week, is there's a difference here. Did Mbenga kill the ambassador? Or did Mbenga let the ambassador die? And those are two related but distinct questions. I think they both can be true, too. Yes, absolutely. But I feel like if they had acted swiftly, they could have pulled that knife out, done a... I mean, they even mentioned they have a, oh, the the organ replacement machine isn't available. You know, like they have that level of technology. They can't fix a stab wound to a patient who has double organs. I don't know. I mean, to me, that's that's you're answering it right there. They let him die. Which you would think would come up in the inquiry. Uh, which we haven't seen. And we won't. No. Uh, which again, these two maybe what might happen, um, or maybe he got stabbed in the heart too long, or it's just right. You know what? One We're gonna find out, or we might not find out. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think we will. But I found the circumstances of his death suspicious, to say the least. Oh, absolutely! That was what they were going for. Yeah. What do you think about that scene or that episode? Um, that scene, scene that was that was um. I think I kind of covered that there. Uh, I didn't expect a person to die this episode, even the Klingon here. Um, uh, but I can understand why Mabenga did it and why Chapel covering for him. I can say it's right. I can just see why. Um, everyone was living through... Uh, so, or, uh, so many people on the ship were going through such anxiety. <laughs> like, of um, him being on here. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time talking about it. 
Well, let me ask you this, and this mm-hmm. is going to be conjecture because we don't have the facts. Do you think the ambassador's death was in self-defense? I don't know. <laughs> was there a comma there? <laughs> it was the Shatner. No, um, I don't know. I have been thinking about this for two weeks. Like, they sure hinted, like, it was... I know, it feels like people talk online that it was self-defense. I'm not convinced, and I don't know if I need the answer. I... Maybe we'll get one eventually, but I don't know. Um, I think it makes it interesting. I think it makes Mabenga's story harder that I don't know. So, um, yeah, like even now, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> like, like, can I see a situation where it's self-defense? Yes. Uh, can I also see it where this ambassador was uh, being antagonistic? Absolutely. How about you? Given that we'd previously seen these two characters going at each other with Klingon judo, I believe they called it. I feel it hard to believe that Mbenga had to resort to a knife to get the ambassador away. Now, granted, if the ambassador was not engaging in judo, if he was being more aggressive, then more aggressive response may have been called for. But I feel like we have seen that Mbenga has sufficient martial arts to defend himself without relying on stabbing, piercing weapons. So I feel like it was a heat of the moment. Uh, it may have been called for, it may not have been, but it was not necessary, in my opinion. Uh-huh. I, I think that a different character, when assaulted by a Klingon of all people, would certainly grab the nearest knife. Absolutely. But Mbenka is not most people. I mean, they even set this up for the question. Like, they set us up already for this question with those two sparring with the Klingon martial arts. Uh, they showed us that exactly what you're saying. He could defend himself. Yeah. Um, and so it just leads more into like, was it self-defense? Sure seems like might have been, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I hadn't thought of this before, but there was a 1997 movie starring Nicolas Cage called Con Air, mm-hmm. where I, if I, I only saw it once. So this was going back 26 years now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but If I recall, he is a soldier whose wife is being attacked outside of a bar and he goes to defend his wife and ends up killing the assailants. What, Nicolas Cage's character? Yes. Uh, I don't remember at all. It's been 10, 15 years. And so Nicolas Cage is actually, he goes to trial and is found guilty of murder because he as a soldier has better responses at his disposal Mm -hmm. than lethal force so he could have incapacitated the assailants without killing them and you know so for most people it might have been self-defense but not for him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so if that's a precedent i feel like that's also the case here with dr mbenga he had better options available maybe that's what the inquiry will do pike is not or not equipped to handle this one (laughs) No, absolutely not. And I, I'm surprised that, I mean, I'm glad that this has 
a Starfleet ambassador and not an ambassador from the Klingon Empire because his murder would be an act of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, there was a great, I thought it was a great scene showing Pike and number one talking. Uh, Una uh, said that we're oh, yeah. redirecting the ship. <laughs> we're doing this basically to Pike. Um, and they had a moment where Pike is like, what basically, but what about Federation ideals? And Una's like, yeah. Um, I agree in the abstract. I agree, but, and they're both right. Like, yep. <laughs> I thought it was just a great scene of them bouncing off each other. Like, you were 100% right, both of you. Yeah, I, I've had, I mean, this is often, often a case that's similar to, in, on a much lower scale, customer service. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do when you have to help a customer who believes that you shouldn't exist? Or when the customer is asking for your help creating hate speech or funding hate speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is something that I've seen in my career and it's, it's challenging. Uh, it's, it's also interesting that in some ways, like again, conjecture, if number one had not redirected the ship, the ambassador might still be alive because his excuse for going to see him Bengo was looks like our time is being cut short. So let's have this mm-hmm. conversation now. Yeah, I hadn't uh, gotten there. Yeah, just cause and effect, unintended consequences. Uh huh. Oh, oh. Speaking of, we also had Nurse Chapel and Spock trying, having difficulty not being able to be there for her. Yeah, yeah. I how how did you feel about that? You know, on one hand, I wish Chapel just would have said like, "I just need time now," but she's going through something heavier than she's going through more feelings than just the Klingon on the ship when it comes to Spock. Uh, what Boimler just said last week. Um, about her not being in Spock's history. Um, the week before that, she was already having difficulties when they're literally playing 3D chess uh, about their relationship. When she's been pining for Sim so long, um, and then things start coming, uh, she's already having doubts about their future. And so him trying to be there and her not being able to tell him is a hint of what's to come. Yeah, and Spock taking it personally on one hand is not very logical, and it's not what she needed because it's not about him, which she said. But on the other hand, I can also kind of understand where he's coming from because it's hard. Like, when you see somebody you love suffering, you want to do something about it. Uh huh. You know, like, I remember, say, real one time, you were staying in my guest room, and you had a headache, and you asked me if I have any aspirin in the house, and I said, no, but I can go get some. And you said, no, that's okay. And I said, Sabriel, you're suffering and I have the ability to alleviate some of that. Why would I not do that? <laughs> and so I hopped in my car, came back 10 minutes later from the pharmacy mm-hmm. with some aspirin. You know, and, and I know that having a headache and having PTSD are not the same thing. Right. And, but point being, you want to help people when you see them suffering. And when Spock couldn't do that, he took it personally, which he shouldn't but I totally understand why he did. I mean, he's only human as well. <laughs> That's true. As he points out. Um, uh, plus, uh, as the show has pointed out to us multiple times, many of this crew don't have the war experience that the others do. And yeah. he does not, uh, he doesn't know what it's like for her. I mean, we learned in season two of discovery that the enterprise was specifically, uh, made to sit out the Klingon war because if the war, ended with Starfleet losing, they wanted Starfleet's best and brightest to still be out there. Mm-hmm. They wanted the Enterprise to survive. 
there are at least two remarks I want to make about the last exchange that Mbenga had with Pike. Okay. Mbenga said, it was, there were two parts to the sentence. The first part was, I didn't start the fight, which one of my coworkers, James, suggested might be referring to the immediate fight he just had with the ambassador, but could also mean the fight the ambassador started on Jagal. Oh, absolutely. It was not a question. It was allegory for everything. Oh, I didn't take it that way at all. I took Uh, it very literally. If James hadn't said it, it never would have occurred to me. (laughs) (laughs) And second, he said, but I'm glad he's dead. And that, so I started this review by saying, I can't insert myself into this episode. I, I can't judge these characters. I'm disappointed in the doctor. This is the one exception I'll make. I'm disappointed in him for being glad that this guy is dead. And I'm reminded of when Osama bin Laden was eliminated. Uh, there were, I, I, at the time, was dating somebody who was going to a Jesuit college. So that meant that there were a lot of Christians on that campus. And many of them were celebrating that Osama bin Laden had been eliminated. And I remember my girlfriend at the time, her roommate posted on Facebook that it was deplorable to celebrate any human's death. And in this roommate's post, she said, I can acknowledge that the world is a safer place without Osama bin Laden without being glad that he's dead. And I'm like, you know what? I think that's an important distinction. And I don't think a doctor should be glad that somebody is dead. He might say, I think the world's a better place without him. But that's still different from saying, I'm glad he's dead, which is what Dr. Mbenga said. And that I'm disappointed in. Um, Yeah, he also had that trauma he went through because of this guy. Directly. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that's, again, that goes back to me not being able to judge these characters like I usually do. (laughs) Uh, But... Even though the doc, even though the ambassador is dead, the trauma doesn't go away. I would say I probably have felt this way before about some people. <laughs> You're glad they're dead. Yeah, it, but for the same it, reasons, they can't hurt anymore. They can't hurt yeah, people anymore. Yeah. No, I. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a understandable reaction. Yeah. No, this is a tough episode. Uh, which is gonna make the jump to the next one such a leap. Oh my god, like I wish they had gone from the uh lower decks crossover to the musical episode and said they sandwiched like the darkest episode ever into the middle. <laughs> I think they had to both for reasons but also like the levity. Like we needed something happy just so we can drop so we can be right right back up to next week's finale. So before we talk about next week's episode, I need to get this context from you, Sabriel. Do you like musicals? Uh, yeah, I enjoy. I don't have a strong history of musicals. There are a lot of modern ones I've enjoyed. Like, I, I had enjoyed Avenue Q before. I've seen, um, uh, Wicked three times in the theater. I've seen, um, a lot of more modern musicals. I've seen Book of Mormon. Um, I've seen Spam a lot a number of times. Um, but classic theater, I don't have much experience. I've never had much desire to see cats, um, Phantom of the Opera, I might be missing out on a weird story, but um, I traditionally had not liked musicals until I saw more of the modern theater. How about you? 
Love them. Absolutely love them. I've done in dozens of musicals myself. I love being in them. I love seeing them. The TV show Gallivant, which ran for two seasons, was phenomenal, right? Oh, I love Gallivant. Also more modern theater, right? I've listened to the I listen to the soundtrack for Gallivant like once every three months. And it's <laughs> like a two CD album because it covers both seasons. It's exhaustive. I, I, I love Gallivant. I love musicals. Uh, the, <laughs> the very day I saw this episode of Strange New Worlds, that being Subspace Rhapsody, I immediately went on iTunes to buy the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Was inconsolable that it was not available online. I think Did it is now. Become, it, it became available the very next day. <laughs> that was 24 long hours. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and as you and I discussed last week, I'm disappointed that it got quote unquote ruined for me that there was a musical episode, but it came up in so many different contexts on, on Twitter in discussions with you and discussion with coworkers and signal messages with personal friends. It was everywhere. So it would, I could not have avoided it. Uh, yeah. Um, the yes, reason let's I, jump into it. Yeah. The, the reason I ask if you like musicals is because uh-huh. former guest of the show, Amanda went on extensively on uh, Twitch the other night that, she does not like musicals. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments she made was that theater people assume that everybody loves musicals. <laughs> I can totally see this. <laughs> and as a theater person in the audience of her Twitch channel, I felt as either seen or attacked your pick. I think both might apply. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little. And, you know, I, I like, and I didn't mean to find an exception to what she was saying. I was just trying to probe the boundaries. I was like, I was like, well, Amanda, uh, are there any exceptions? Like, I assume you didn't like Gallivant. She's like, no, I hated Gallivant. I was like, what about the... I remember, Amanda, you said that you liked that the musical episode of Buffy had an in-universe reason for why they were singing. She's like, yes, I did like that. It gave it context. Doesn't mean I liked the music. I just liked the reason why they were singing. I was like, okay. Yeah, and it's bunnies. (laughs) It could be bunnies. And maybe we will be bunnies, but it's not probable. (laughs) But... Anyway, that's why I asked if you like, and also uh, another ex of mine hated musicals and would not see them under any circumstances. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Never had that sharp reaction to them. I just, I wasn't exposed to them growing up. So I didn't have all that. My parents, if they had any interest, I never saw it. And so I don't think I saw any until some more modern theater in the 20s or excuse me, in the knots um, started coming out. So yeah, I didn't get exposed to them until my older brother started performing in them in high school and then extensively in college. And I went to see all the shows he did. And I thought that's what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so I started doing theater in high school, which put me in the theater camp, not, not the literal camp, like a summer camp, but like the group of people at school who did theater, you know, and a brief anecdote. I remember one time, I guess I hadn't fully assimilated yet. It was my senior year of high school and I, it was last period. And I mentioned to one of my theater friends who was in the same class as me that I, w- my dad and I were going to see the Phantom after school that day. And she was like, oh, I love Phantom of the Opera. It's one of my favorite musicals. Oh. I've seen it so many times. Where, where is it playing? And I said, at the local movie theater. And she said, there's a, there's a movie version oh, of no. Phantom of the Opera? I was like, no, I didn't say the Phantom of the Opera. I said the Phantom. You know, Billy Zane dresses up in purple, fights crime. She's like, oh. She just kind of walked away. It's like, yeah, I'm going to see the Phantom. You know, I suppose probably didn't get much experience that because when I was little, I hated being like 
on stage, anything like that. I hated school plays. I hated being a part of them. We were forced to be that. Hated that. Now me, I I like being on stage in front of people, but young me, hated with a passion. So I'm sure that's if my parents liked it, they never let me know that because it was the worst thing in the world for me. But my parents don't like being put on point point either, so I can see why they did not like that aspect either. Um, yeah, anyway. I, I I did not like public speaking as mm-hmm. a kid, and the we didn't have much of a theater program. And usually, my parents would discourage me from auditioning for them because they didn't want to have to go to the show in the end. <laughs> No, like there was one time there was like a Christmas pageant and the entire like like grade seven is now going to get up and sing. Grade eight is now uh-huh. going to get up and sing. And we'd all this. rehearse these songs. And so the night of the pageant, I went upstairs. My mom's like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to get dressed to go to the pageant. And she's like, oh, you don't want to go to that. <laughs> and I was like, what? She's like, no, just stay home. Skip it. And so I didn't go because they didn't want to go. They didn't want to bring me to the pageant. And the next day at school, like the teacher and all my classmates were said, like, Ken, where were you? We were like, you were the only one missing from the pageant. There was an empty seat on the stage. And I was like, my parents didn't want to bring me. <laughs> so that was not traumatizing, as you can see, 40 Parent- years later. Right. No, there's nothing at all. So subspace rapid city, let's jump into it because we don't have much time left already. And um, I oh, we enjoyed- have as much time as we want. <laughs> I enjoyed the episode. Um, uh. I got a kick out of it, even if I understand, like, the only reason it exists because they wanted to do a musical episode and the reasoning for it, like, in-universe reasoning, is really loose. I don't care. It was fun. Um, I enjoyed it. I've seen it twice. And I had um, I had the experience where, like, watching it Thursday morning, like, had emotional... It, it was powerful, right? And then um, I tried to share that joy with someone who was not a Trekkie. Being is, but I know they love musicals, and she just like uh, her reaction was, Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, that honestly killed my Thursday. Um, Aww. but um, uh, partner and her partner, um, I said, like, We're gonna want to watch, well, usually we want to watch these ones up separate, separately, like, we're gonna want to watch this one together, trust me. So, uh, Thursday night, we all watched it, and they loved it so much, yay, um, and um. I was able to enjoy the music more. I have a lot of difficulty hearing lyrics in music mm-hmm. until I know the song. And so like the second time I got more enjoyment out of the song, but music, I was still kind of like, none of these are really sticking with me. And I know I'm saying a lot here, but I'm trying to get to the point here, but I'm like, none of these are really sticking to me. And then I woke up at like 5 a.m. this morning and uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm in my head, I'm thinking of um, the on song, I'm thinking of a chapel song, uh, Spock's Omniacs. Like, okay, finally, two days later, some of it is kind of in my head, even without any prompting. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Like, I went to see a concert the other night, uh, Laser of the Double Clicks, and two of his friends, and one of the musicians, Emily Henry. I, I love her music. I have her albums. I listen to them at home. I know the lyrics. But when I hear a new song, like, performed live... I was like, oh, I love that song. I have no idea what it was about. <laughs> but I like I liked how it sounded, and I'm sure there were lyrics. Like you'll catch, but... catch parts of the lyrics to the vein or the funny part that you're supposed to remember. Yeah, and that's not a criticism at all of the performer right. or the lyrics. It's just I, I process visually better than I do audibly. You know, that's one of the reasons I don't do audiobooks. I'd much rather read it because, you know, like 
I, I can tell you later, oh, that passage occurred on the bottom of page 27. You know, it's, it's on the right side. Yeah, I can tell you, oh, I was driving by the city when I was listening to that part of the book. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I, I pair the visual with the audio. But there was one question. I, While I was watching the episode for the very first time, I thought to myself, this is a question I have to ask Sabriel because I, I think I have an answer and I want to answer before you do. <laughs> okay, you're going to answer my answer and I'll see if you're right. I was asking myself when I was watching the episode, what is Sabriel's favorite song from this episode? And I'm going to guess. Okay, because I don't know if I have an answer for you. Okay, that's valid. I think it's when La'an was singing to her watch. Uh, no, actually. Okay. I, that, uh, what was that one? Def- it wasn't Defying Gravity, but it made me think of Defying Gravity. What was that one called again? Uh, I had it earlier. Uh, uh, how would that feel? Uh, maybe she had a, bit, a line in there that was like, yeah, not defying gravity. That no, um, that, that, that's the name of the song. How would that feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a line in there that like falling over, falling sideways. I don't remember. Mm, okay. Um, that was the big part of the song. She'd sing a few times. Um, refrain. I, the one that I woke up this morning was um, Nurse Chapel's "I'm Ready." Hmm. Um. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, not necessarily related to what it was about. Just that was the one that I think I think of the most. Um, oddly enough, like the finale, the grand finale is not the one I think of. Um, the ones that were in my head this morning were I'm ready. Uh, I'm the ex. And um, the opening, the most confusing thing, uh, whatever it's actually called. Status report. Yeah, status report. Um, those three songs are the ones that have been in my head the most of all of them. Hmm. How about you? Do you have a favorite? I do. Do you want to guess what it is? Um, I'd say my least favorite one was the one where they're literally anti-grav. Um, connect. Uh, oh, uh, was that keeping secrets? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, probably connect to your crew. To connect to your crew. Yep. <laughs> Connect to your truth. Um, that was that was a fun one. But what's my favorite? Oh, that's what that was my guess. Oh, that one. Oh, I'm sorry. I would say my second favorite is Status Report, the opening oh. number, and my favorite is We Are One, which is the grand finale. Yeah. And the thing both of those have in common is that they are ensemble numbers. Mm-hmm. They have lots of voices, and. This is the thing that I was consciously noting as the episode was playing for the first time. The vast majority of the songs have a lack of choreography. Yeah. Like there are a lot of songs where it's just Spock or Hora, and they're just sort of like walking around talking and you don't really get a lot of dance when it's an individual. I get that unless you're in singing in the rain, for example, but I love choreography and like we are one. I wasn't sure where it was going. And then they have all these red shirts in the corridor checking panels. And then the whole thing rotates. And then they're doing like West Side Story. Uh huh. And I was like, boom, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> and we finally got some choreography. And like all the, the, the bridge crew are up in front of the view screen with their arms up. And I love it. And the one thing that sets We Are One apart from Status Report, them both being ensemble numbers, is that the We Are One ensemble number, the ensemble includes... Klingons. <laughs> I was going to get there in a minute, but <laughs> might as well talk to you about it now. Um, I didn't recognize the person who was playing the Klingon until it was mentioned. 
<laughs> um, yeah, that was Bruce Horak. Yeah, our hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, General Garcog. What a great name. Um, to, uh, <laughs> having to go through this dishonor. <laughs> we have found the source of our dishonor. Everyone, I think, was expecting Klingon opera. I. It wasn't until after the show was over that I thought, oh, they were really? singing in English. Oh, that part. Yeah, yeah. Um, that didn't bug me at all because the whole conceit is ridiculous. Yeah. Nor yeah. did the K-pop or the K-pop. Uh. Yeah, I didn't recognize it as K-pop until I was talking to former uh. guests of the show, Ambassador Mark. And he's, <laughs> like, and he's like, oh, that was K-pop. I was like, oh, it was. <laughs> it was so funny. So I did not expect it at all, and I was laughing so hard. I know um, because his the the octave of his voice, the range just shifts dramatically. Like he coughs, and then he just starts. That's what I, I mentioned to you. I was like, "This doesn't sound like the same person." I still think it sounds like Weird Al, but it's not. That's I can't find any proof that it is. He's not listed in the credits. Uh, uh, they must have done something with auto tune. Because he sounds so much like Weird Al in that short little bit of song. There is some auto-tuning throughout the episode. Yes. But Weird Al was also in Gallivant. And having uh-huh. just listened to the soundtrack recently, I, I'm i not hearing him in this. No? Interesting. Uh, maybe I'll try to listen to that again because like, oh, it sounds so much like him to me. But it also seemed like one of those epic rap battles music videos. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it made me wonder, are all visual communications on the bridge recorded because you want to be able to see that again in the future (laughs) well i gotta wonder how long lasting is the klingon's dishonor because Mm -hmm. you just know that that's going to leak out onto the dark web (laughs) klingon is doing k-pop that'd be funny you know like we see a picture of quark or video quark watching (laughs) or like they could bring it on the word decks i mean we've already seen them playing um ballast and (laughs) And whatever. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, so we were halfway through this episode of the show, Subspace Rhapsody. And I, at that point, I was thinking to myself, you know what? Strange New Worlds is clearly non-canon. And nothing in this show makes sense or matters if Ahura doesn't get a solo. Oh, my God. Um, Cecilia is so good. We are, or Keep Us Connected was a great song. Yes, I I am I'm surprised that they waited until the very end to give them that song. And I'm glad they finally did because I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Not only is it in character for Ahura, who we saw singing last season and who we know from TOS has musical talents, but also Celia Rose Gooding is a Grammy Award winning singer. Uh-huh. And so they need to have a song in this show. And they did. And ultimately, they're the one who brought the whole crew together for the finale. Yes. Uh, do they have they them pronouns? They do. Oh, I did not know that. I never heard that until today. Hmm. Um, uh, I liked Pike calling her the voice of the Enterprise. That was That's sweet. Um, I was just looking through the song list here. Um, that moment came through me. Yeah, so I'm glad that they got their chance to shine in song. I, I love that little bit. Um, and you know who else has their own EP out? With a number of songs. Yes, Christine Chong. That's right. Uh, I started, um, B was asking for that. And I'm like, yeah, here you go. Because I told her all about it. And like, yeah. Uh, uh, she uh, actually stopped doing stage and music to do acting, hopefully to get notoriety so she can go 
for her stage stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is all just one big promotion for her musical talents. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, she, she was staying in a ready room. She was begging to be able to do a musical episode since the first season. And they, apparently, they were like, we're toying with some ideas. And and they told her, like, six months before they actually started filming that they're going to do it. But didn't know what it was going to be like or anything like that. And so, hmm. Did you know that Ron Moore wanted to do a musical episode of DS9? I did not. Oh, my God. Okay. I can only see Avery Brooks doing that. And Vic Fontaine. Oh, I mean, Vic. but Jimmy Darren. Yep. I can't see the rest of the crew doing it. I could see Odo doing it as much as we saw Spock doing it this week. No, I take it back. Not a visitor. I can see her doing it. Oh, she used to be a dancer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure she has sung in her career. I could see Bashir hamming that up. (laughs) And O'Brien, maybe? Keiko? Um, yeah, I don't know. They're, I don't know. I could not see Worf doing it. <laughs> I could see Jedzia. I don't know about Esri, but I also don't know those actors talents. Kind of like right. in this show, we hardly ever saw Mbenga singing because he yeah. said, I do not sing. Yeah. I don't think, uh, him as an actor, Babs, uh, uh, was but, I mean, Erica Ortegas apparently has some theater, a musical theater background, but didn't get to shine here either. Um, yeah. Mosinavia. One thing I loved about in the opening number, status report, when Pike says, uh, Ortegas, can we get a status report? And she starts singing. And in the background, not only does Pike leap out of his seat, because this is the first time he's seen somebody singing. It was only heard over the intercom before. Not only does he leap out of the seat, he actually takes a step back behind the seat. <laughs> like he's distancing himself like, from Ortegas. Like, is this contagious? Because when he had that brief song private conversation on the bridge a review i read of the episode called his song less technically complex than the other actors songs yeah uh he said he had fun but i don't think he was also not much of a musical person yeah and that's one of the challenges you have to work around like if you watch the buffy episode that's a musical which was fantastic in my opinion i have the soundtrack to that as well uh willow doesn't do any singing in that episode. And okay. so you have to imagine the actor either requested no songs or they weren't up to the, uh, she was playing to, to her spec. strengths, right? Cause she was right. in band camp. <laughs> she plays the flute. Hi-oh. Doesn't mean she can sing. <laughs> that's right. Wow. That's a deep cut. <laughs> Unless you're 40 or older. <laughs> um, Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um the let's see here we got kirk back yeah i was like oh ken's not gonna like this well he's <laughs> now been in you're right he's been in a third of this season now three out of nine episodes it's a prequel to the tos it doesn't bug me at all yeah but there are a lot of members of starfleet that don't show up three times yeah this season <laughs> and it's also his show it, that's his it's ship not, it's not it's not he will be it will be but it's not I yet. Don't have, I love him, him on there, so I don't see any problem at all with this. I feel like we are. I feel like there's more reason to see Robert April on the show mm-hmm. than there is. Which we James missed his Peter. baritone. And also, did you know that when Robert April was captain of the Enterprise, his wife was the CMO? I don't remember. I just happened to read that. I didn't see his appearance on the animated series, but yeah, Doctor April. Huh. I think I don't know if she took his name, but gotcha. Uh, so, okay, so let's head up on the music. We actually got some storyline advancement as well here. 
Yeah, there's one story in particular I want to talk to you about. No person here on this ship is going to have happy relationship. <laughs> um, Laon got rejected. Um, uh, Chapel is like, my career is more important than you, Spock. See you later. And now yeah. Patel is going to die. <laughs> okay, we need to talk about those three things. Let's, <laughs> let's go in order. Uh, the first one was, which one? <laughs> uh, let's just go with Laon Kirk. Yeah, that's the one. That's the first one. So just just four days before this episode aired, there was an article published online advocating for more appearances in Strange New Worlds of the women who are important to Kirk. And the women it was talking about were his mother and Carol Marcus. And we got Carol Marcus referenced in this episode. It established the timeline very clearly. Uh And so I love that they worked that in because this is something that we didn't really know about until Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. It never came up in the TV show. And now we know that the whole time that Kirk was captain of the Enterprise back in the 60s, not only was he a dad, but he knew he was a dad. Uh-huh. And I, I love that this has been clarified canonically. Even though it's not his show. Yes. <laughs> no, but I agree with you. Um, uh, yeah. And like he says, his relationship is complicated, um, which explains a lot in TOS, like like his relationship with Carol. And Carol, I mean, established in Star Trek 2 that uh, basically she didn't want Kirk in David's life. And we assume this is David she's talking about. We don't know for sure, but I think the assumption is pretty obvious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I did not expect that name drop at all. I was like, how, where is this going? Where is this going? Is he going to do it? And like, is he going to kiss on? Like, I did not expect to hear Carol Marcus's name come out of his mouth. Yeah. I, I, I'm not surprised that this Kirk is not hooking up with Laon, but that's not the reason I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, also, when Kirk came on board, number one was like, oh, you and Laon know each other? Should number you have one an be. Energy. But, like, should number one have been surprised by that? Because Kirk had been on board for that zombie episode. I mean, more than be, I mean, more than her security clearance. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't necessarily aware. Lon didn't tell her about what's, what happened and her feelings toward him. So, I mean, sure, they might have met. But number one didn't mean, oh, you know each other. Like, you heard each other's name. She meant, like, oh, you know each other. Like, you have had more of a, you have had more of a talk than just welcome to the Enterprise. I so guess. that's what she meant by because oh, Lon should that. know everybody who comes on board. Yeah, it's not the literal no, it's the no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but not the biblical no. No, I got that, right. <laughs> so 22 years ago or so, I was in an independent film called Disc. It was about Ultimate Frisbee. It was a comedy. And one of the last scenes in the movie is actually one of the first ones they shot because it didn't require a complex set or a lot of people. It was just a, a, a man and woman who and the woman has like has a has a crush on the guy. And it's not requited, and they're in a room. And she goes to leave, and she actually like the actress. Since it was the first day of shooting, she just wasn't in her in the groove yet, and she went to leave the wrong way, and then had to turn around and leave the right way. And that was not scripted. She just got confused, and they kept it in the movie. <laughs> and then Laan does the same thing in this it was episode. So adorable. It was adorable. And I my headcanon is that it was unscripted. I know it probably <laughs> was scripted, but I just love the idea that 
<laughs> she just got confused. Uh-huh. Oh, it was adorable. I love that so much. And seeing her just all flustered was so cute. Yeah, because it's so out of character for her. And uh, I mean, her, her song about her daydreaming book, Herc, was kind of sweet. And then her ultimate resolution of like, she went for it. She tried. It didn't work out. But now she's kind of like, maybe I can be a bit more vulnerable. Take more chances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of uh, reminds me of Picard getting his heart impaled by a Nausicaan. I remember as a kid, I found that confusing because in the parallel universe where he didn't get impaled, he was more cautious. And I was like, I could see just the opposite, where if you take a chance and the chance results in you getting your heart impaled by a Nausicaan, that's a good lesson in not taking chances. You know, I would think that Picard would be more cautious, but he survived. And I guess the lesson you learned is you take chances and bad things happen, but you survive. And that's what happened to Lon here. She took a chance, didn't work out, but she's still here. Yeah. And now she has resolution. She has closure. And then it gets to Spock and Chapel. Oh, God. I I have. Well, you've been advocating for this relationship for so long. You I've been advocating often, for this journey. <laughs> you've been. Well, you certainly felt that it was one of the main plots in some of the episodes. It was so, the main plot to me. <laughs> so how, how did you feel about this episode's developments? They did her dirty. Yeah. All right. We've established that Nurse Chapel is flaky with relationships. We've established she's driven by her career. This still felt different. And, but maybe that's just because we actually got to watch her crush. Where in the past, it was just a past thing. But her journey from Spock and her had clearly had feelings for each other to... um. Uh, you know, let me backtrack. Basically, to my, my problem with it, with her reveal of breaking up with him here, was not that she did it. I was expecting it. It's that we didn't get to see much of her journey to the pathway to here. We saw um, her struggling with the 3D chest, but we didn't really get much time with that. We saw Boimler tell her she's not in Spock's future. Yes, that's a great path, part of the journey. We didn't get to see how she felt after Boimler told her this. And then last week, the uh with the uh, telling spock like she just needs space um ultimately we find out that meant in two ways not just because of what happened but she needed space from him but we are missing key points in my opinion we're making missing key points of her mentality in between those moments that we would not gotten here and so like her telling her him that she's ready to do this and she's ready to break up with him it felt like missing <laughs> I, I think it was done dirty and we didn't get to explore in this chapel as much as we should have we didn't have enough episodes between then and now i didn't the song was good <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have those words for it but i do agree with you i was really disappointed that i i felt like for a lot of the first season and a half we saw chapel crushing on spock more than we saw spock crushing on chapel this very uh-huh. much felt like something she wanted and now that she has it she lets it go so quickly that's the feeling even though i don't think it's the truth it sucks they did her dirty yeah i mean i i feel like i mean this was a whole episode of cheers that you probably remember how uh there was uh melville's upstairs his Uh daughter fell in love with sam yes and melville was like no, you can't have him. He's a he's a bartender. He's too low for you. And she's like, I don't care. I love him. And finally, 
Like he, he well, like the the dad says, you only want him because I say you can't have. And she's like, no, that's not true. Finally, like, fine. I see how it is. You can marry him. And suddenly, she's like, why would I want to marry a bartender? <laughs> you know, as soon as you can have it, you don't want it anymore. I feel like. Mm-hmm. That was Chapel. Like the idea of dating Spock was more important to her than actually dating Spock. It's like, that's definitely like, that's kind of the feeling they're giving off, but it's not what I feel. It does not feel like that's what was earned. Uh, what got to this point? Uh, yeah. If they, they think they dropped the ball so hard on her relationship with Spock. Like we knew it was going to end and it could have ended this episode, but we missed so much of the in-between to her getting to this breakup. Yeah. The, the the breakup should have happened next episode or next season. Uh, um, at least if with number of episodes, if we could have had more time with it. I, I know we had it, it was last week was a Mbenga story. The week before that was a lower deck episode. Yeah. Uh, and the week before that was um, we're doing a blank. Uh, zombie episode. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a horror episode. Yeah, so like, they didn't really have a space for that, but. These episodes don't need to be an hour long. <laughs> I could have explored more of that. I just yeah. think it was done dirty. It shouldn't have to be fill in the blanks on yeah. this specific storyline. Yeah, I agree. It's It was rushed. Yeah, but um, also not liking how they seem to be implying this is what's going to cause Spock to go back to being a Vulcan emotion, showing less emotion. That's the, the implication. And I think that's not right either. I mean, it is uh, a common response to trauma to shut it hundred percent. Like I've done there. I've been there this year, <laughs> but um, it doesn't feel like that does Spock the character a disservice. And uh, as if it's the only reason nurse chapel is the reason um, it yeah. doesn't feel right. It feels we still have plenty of more episodes to go. Assuming we get a season three. Um, uh, and we still have the next episode. Um, but so his story gets to continue, but I don't know how much more chapel we're going to get. And I hate that. Yeah. We I think she's still going to be on the show. I just don't know how much chapel. Yeah. Will the three months that she's away be between seasons. Yeah. Like, will will she ever actually be gone from the show? We don't know. As you point out, we do know that this is it, Dr. Corby. That she's doing the yeah she gets engaged too I don't remember I said married before but I know she engaged I don't know if actually married yeah so she might come back from that and be like I'm engaged and everyone's gonna be like what yeah <laughs> yeah so we don't know um yeah uh and then uh the third thing oh there was a third relationship that uh Captain Patel is gonna die yeah. Uh, that was a little total lampshade. Don't worry. We'll come back and just plan our vacation when I get back from this one last mission. Uh, <laughs> I like, one, one week from retirement. We just learned her first name. <laughs> it's like Marie. And now she's going to uh, die or be incapacitated in some way where she won't be able to go with Pike on vacation for a long time. We don't mm. know if she's going to die, but I hope they subvert expectations. Maybe they'll say she died, but she actually joined Section 31. Yeah, and then goes and spy on Romulus in the beta canon. Right. And then like she shows up on the Enterprise, and Pike will be like, I thought you were dead. And she's like, I was. And now you're a Romulan? 
I'm glad we both read that book. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I've I like Patel. I don't like Pike Patel. I'm not. I'm so uninterested in that relationship. Uh, what What's the name when you ship those characters? Pike Tell. Uh, I uh, but Pike. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that I wasn't gonna say it because it's too silly. <laughs> I like Pike Tell. All right, so that just brings uh, me down to like minute comments. Uh, like for, for like for example, in the final number when the engineer, uh, played by Carol Pellia. King, who's thank you, when Pelia and Laan are saying like, "I'm going to miss the singing," Spock's like, "I won't miss the singing." <laughs> that was funny. Or this is our prime directive, like not quite. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> like so, the opening and closing numbers. I haven't rewatched the episode in its entirety, but uh-huh. those are the two numbers I've gone back and rewatched. And yeah, I, I love that bit. Um, Paramount Plus on YouTube has a lyrics episode, a video for the first song. Um, yes, I will put um, that in the show notes. I'll status report. It. Oh, and we didn't mention how, just like in the crossover with Lower Decks episode, they changed the opening. Yes, that was so good. I was I was trying not to cackle as loud as I did. I was watching this before while everyone's still asleep. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, they did it in another episode. <laughs> it's it's not fully a cappella, but it's pretty darn close. And uh-huh. I Coral. Yes. And and when I just like with the animated opening, I didn't notice immediately. And part of me wants really? to now what? So that's interesting. I picked up a second. I heard a voice. Well, uh, I, th- I think like even though I never skipped the intro, I think I tend to mentally tune out a little uh, bit because okay. I because I know what to expect. Uh-huh. Uh huh. See me every time, every single time I hear the intro, I start dun dun. dun like, like that whole gets me so excited. And uh, when, like, when I was my friend or. Uh, uh, her, her husband uh, does not listen to the intro. Like they hit the skip intro button. I was like, "You what?" <laughs> but if they do that this week or two weeks ago, then they, they don't even know what they're missing. Yeah, like I warned them about the last time. Okay, and this time they're at Star Trek Las Vegas. So <laughs> part of me wants to take the choral opening and apply it to the animated intro. <laughs> and just get both of them together. There you go. There you go. I mean, that would be an easy edit to make in Final Cut Pro. <laughs> oh, we got the original series song at the after the end of the VR um, one. Yes, that was fun. Yes, I didn't I expect like that. that. Um, kind of came out of nowhere, <laughs> but I was like, I was like, you know, what? it fit. I like that they always credit Alexander Courage. Yeah, for writing yeah, yeah. that original. Because they always put it at the end in the end of the Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I mean, it's partly in the opening for Strange New Worlds. It's partly in the opening for Discovery. So they acknowledge mm-hmm. him there. But as you may know, Roddenberry wrote lyrics for the original yes. opening song. And the only reason he did that was that he could say he co-wrote the song with Courage and only pay Courage half as much. They never Again, used the lyrics. But, Roddenberry. So I, I hope that the Courage estate is continuing to get royalties and that they've made up for that exploitation. Uh, I have some, oh, uh, speaking of this being a musical episode, I forget the director's name of this episode, but he also directed the musical episode of The Flash. There was one there too? Yeah, it was a Flash Supergirl crossover. It was a musical episode. And uh, I think there was a villain named the Music Meister and he made everybody sing. And of course I have that soundtrack too. But yeah, so this is not the director's first musical episode of a non-musical show, (laughs) which I thought was kind of cool. 
Oh, I guess Star Trek has had lyrics in the opening before. They had faith of the heart. No. Uh, har, har, har. You did not write true. that. true. <laughs> uh, so two technical things I, I want to mention. This is not interesting to probably anybody who isn't me. One is at the very beginning of horror says, like, this subspace thing works three times faster than our usual subspace communications. Imagine a conversation that usually takes weeks can now only take moments. And I was like, that's not how three times faster works. <laughs> if it takes weeks, it'll now take two days. Maybe she's putting in layman's terms for the engineers. I don't know. <laughs> I think <laughs> you're talking. Yeah. Uh, it was something I couldn't help but notice. The other thing is everybody on this episode, whether it was Kirk or anybody else, they're moving those transporter sliders really fast. I thought that too. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the rush? We've never seen this before. I was actually thinking about that because I'm like, maybe on T we just got used to the original series. Because if you watch in TOS, they just do it. But they have a graphic underneath there on Strange New Worlds because we have more technology. Right. Where in like TNG, they always have the three thing as a little nod to touch screen thing. And they have they always try to be methodical. Like, oh, I'm like it, I'm sure it's the actors all just doing their own little touch on it because oh, this feels right to go slow and then down. And here there's yeah. like, bam. <laughs> I'm like, why not just make it a binary switch if you're going to do it that fast? It doesn't have to be a slider. <laughs> what it is is to make us giggle and go, what the hell is going on? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it was very noticeable to me. I, Me too, 100%. Both times they did well, it. Thank you. Or a few times thank you. Thank you. And I even watched for it in um, Under the Cloak of War. They did that a little bit there too when they were beating people up. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, but but not as bad as here. Like um, maybe in war, I can understand, but but it, it was just amusing. Like, really, I guess you can go that fast. I just never questioned it. It was always supposed to go slow. Um, uh, I love. Uh, we're going super long here, so I'll be quick here. I love Una. It's just you have an energy. Um, that was adorable. By um, the way, uh, I uh -huh. recently rewatched a brief scene from the cage, mm -hmm. and uh, I was specifically looking for the part where Pike says. I'm not used to having a woman on the bridge. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, but then he turns to number one and says, I don't mean you, Lieutenant. Yep. Yep. Lieutenant. Uh-huh. Not commander. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to assume that they're going to make that canon by demoting her, because that's just silly. I think it's just that this is the very first episode Roddenberry ever wrote, and he didn't know what he was doing yet. Oh, no. Uh, the cage happened well before this Strange New Worlds. Oh, the you're right. Ages I ago. I forgot. You know what? Since the cage was only made canon by the Menagerie, which takes place in the future of Strange mm -hmm. New Worlds, I keep forgetting that there. the cage already happened. Like we saw that in season two of Discovery. We've already seen it in season two. There was a, there was a flashback to the cage. Yeah. In Discovery, you're right. And they I reference forgot. it in the episode I hated, the Lotus Cedars. Oh, okay. That was the whole premise of Lotus Cedars. We left someone behind, and that was a scene talking about Pike yes. was talking about in the cage. Yep. Um, no, I forgot. Uh, the other thing, I gotta, I don't know, I just get a kick out of it. They're, the beginning, when they're talking about what's going on here, why are we all singing? They're in the um, situation room, the the, the ready, not the ready room. Yep. Obviously, conversation, whatever. They're, they're all around the table. Spock is going on about the blah, 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 and we might be bunnies, not be bunnies, I don't want to be a bunny. Paleo all of a sudden just appears out of nowhere from behind him. Like she was sitting in our chair nowhere near the rest of the crew. Yes. It was such a... Weird, weird place that she came out of uh, both times i'm watching this like it just cracked me up i'm like where were you and no one questioned this she was just like hiding in the background waiting for her scene to come up and that was just totally normal for the crew yep and it cracked me up i thought it was weird too <laughs> I, uh, didn't think it was were... weird. I thought it was hilarious 
there were two name drops, one of which I should have noticed last season, and maybe I did on this very podcast, and I just forgot, is that the person at the helm who is not Ortegas is Mitchell. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's clearly named after Kenneth Mitchell, who was an actor on Discovery. And there was also a ship, the USS Mitchell, on -hmm. a recent episode of one of the Star Treks. I already forgot which one. Probably Picard season three. Probably. So at the time, we presumed that the ship, the USS Mitchell, was named after Kenneth Mitchell. But also this ensign is named after Kenneth Mitchell. So is the ship named after the ensign (laughs) who's named after Kenneth Mitchell? Maybe, but Mitchell's also a common enough name. Yeah, I mean, in the Star Trek universe, you're right, it could be any Mitchell. But in our perspective, clearly it's all the same Mitchell. Yeah. Anyway, and the other thing... Oh, they kept lampshading the Klingons were affected by this without saying it. Because they kept showing the graphic. It was expanding into Klingon space. I'm like, they're not bringing this up for a reason. Yeah. And all of a sudden the Klingons come in later. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Uh, One other name that got dropped, Uhura acknowledge a transmission from the USS Nemurfo. Yeah, I don't know the reference. Yeah, like I had to go back and t- turn the captions on because I did not recognize that name. Uh, Scott Nemurfo, what, he was the writer and producer for the first season episode uh, Jatrell on Star Trek Voyager. Oh. And he was the associate producer for the 1997 documentary Trekkies. Oh, well, no, uh, he, he passed away seven years ago at the age of 54. Oh, wow. So young. Uh, he was also an associate producer on the 2000 film X-Men, mm-hmm. starring Patrick Stewart and Rebecca Romain, as well as other Star Trek actors. So, yeah, seven years later, he has a ship named after him. I don't know what came up, because it's not uncommon to name or pay tribute to somebody who has recently passed, mm-hmm. uh, like they did with the uh the uss nog was it yeah and it what, what kind of what sh- class ship was that uh it wasn't just an uh, Ehrenberg class wasn't it yes exactly named after the actor so and and he passed away in just the last year or two so for scott and Amurfo to get a ship i'm glad he did yeah. I, I i just don't know why it could why, be someone I, that worked I, with him I mean, yeah I, I don't know why now is what i should be yeah, saying i know what you mean yeah yeah uh that is the entirety of my notes. Um, me too, but I didn't have much either. Um, Chapel was done dirty. I had fun with the episode. Great episode? I don't know. But I had fun. And uh, they had fun doing it. Given that Xena Warrior Princess ran for six seasons, and it had a musical episode, and Star Trek has now collectively run for about 25 seasons <laughs> and took this long to get a musical episode. It's about time. <laughs> I mean, I think Buffy's musical episode was in the sixth season. So and that was, I think Buffy was the one who basically kind of allowed everyone else to do it or feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. This is the one everyone thinks of. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad Star Trek got it. I can see how it might be a little bit out of place for a sci-fi show. Don't care. It was fun. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. And if and if any show could pull it off, it's Strange New Worlds. Right. Oh heck, Star Trek hasn't been on the air for most of the time between Buffy and now either. So This is true. Mm-hmm. When did Buffy go off the air? Um I don't remember the exact date. Uh it premiered in nineteen ninety seven and ran until two thousand three. Okay, and and Enterprise went off the air in two thousand five. Well, of course, then there was the spin off Angel. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a second spinoff was shelved in 2022. Oh. Uh, 
or maybe it was a spinoff, maybe it was a reboot. It was a reboot. Anyway. Yeah, so that is, in one podcast, the darkest and lightest episodes of Stranger Worlds. <laughs> and next week, we're yeah. uh, going to be on a journey. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about next week's I know you know. Yet. That's so what I said. <laughs> uh, as I commented to you on Signal, I feel like with Under the Cloak of War, in some ways, Stranger Worlds out DS9 to DS9. Yeah. And I talked to our friend Susan about that. Uh, she says that the what is permitted on television has changed a lot. Since DS9 mm-hmm. aired 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And also, we as an audience have more of a vocabulary by which to discuss these things. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why DS9 didn't go as dark as Strange New Worlds just did. So, I, I'm, that's one perspective. Like, I, I think definitely 9-11 was a dividing moment in our country. I mean, for example, we had war in the 90s. <laughs> we had a lot of things going on in the Middle East. But things have changed. And now we have a musical episode as well. So, go figure. <laughs> Star Trek. It, it, it contains multitudes. Yes. Yes, and until the next multitude. One, two, three. No. <laughs> Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. <laughs>